0: I remember uh, last week, as, uh, as I started the year, I shared with you what I believe the Lord is doing with us. So let's bow our heads and pray and come to the Word of God. Father, we thank you that you are so good. We thank you that you are so faithful. We thank you that uh, you are our shield, our God, our healer, our maker, our creator. You are amazing in all your ways so Lord right now as we focus our attention on what you're speaking to us today give us open hearts give us moldable minds that we would align with your thoughts in our thinking that we would align with our volition our will our decision-making to your purposes Lord, when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done. And Lord, forgive us for so often. We pray that, but we make no room for your will because our will is so strong. So today, Lord, we repent, and we want to align with your will. We say, Lord, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Say it with me, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Happy New Year once again. It's a weird feeling to say Happy New Year past the first few days, right? I've been saying it every day to every person that I meet for the first time this year. So last yesterday we, had, uh, we met the PSW that came to help dad and as she was leaving I wished her happy new year she turned around like she actually was happy yeah yeah happy new year to you too it was on the seventh a week later but anyway we could keep doing that now we just prayed your kingdom come Jesus taught the disciples to pray your kingdom come Jesus last week I shared with you his first message after he came out of the time that he was in solitude with God, fasting and praying for 40 days, being tested and tempted, in that period, he comes out of that and he now goes to the synagogue. The first thing he does is tell the people, he proclaims, the kingdom of God is near. And as he's proclaiming that in the synagogue, it was his custom to go, remember I shared all that? It was his custom to go to the synagogue So it was his turn to be the reader of the scriptures. So they handed him the scroll. And it wasn't a coincidence that he happened to be the reader that week. Now, when we're preaching here in in our church, we are not preaching from a calendar. You know what I mean by that? There's a lot of churches and groups of churches, denominations, you know, That preach according to a church calendar. It's a good thing. We just haven't made that our practice. I think it's important for us maybe to consider that for a season, to take a calendar, the church calendar, and look at Scripture according to that calendar. Because when you wear your clothes, you wear them according to the calendar. Have you noticed? In the winter, you have your hats, your gloves, your boots, your coats. In the summer, you probably just have nothing on other than your regular clothes that you have at home. So we dress according to the calendar, right? Uh, Maybe you wear something different than what you have at home. I don't know, when you leave the house in the summer. But anyway, but you know what I'm getting at. And those are things that the calendar helps us remember. And by remembering, we walk out a ritual, as it were. We do rituals without even thinking of them as rituals. You walk into the house, you wash your hands. Now it's become more of a enforced or reinforced ritual. When you shake hands with people, you probably look for something to wipe your hands with. Right? If you're in the hospital, you have to wear a mask. When you walk into the hospital, they have a mask station. They have a pump with disinfectant or hand sanitizer. These have become rituals for us, and we don't think about it as much anymore as when we did in March of 2020. Three years later, it's become part of our DNA, as it were. So ritual is important. So when Jesus walked into that synagogue to read the scripture that day, it was the day designated for the scripture reading from the scroll, because they didn't have books then, they just had the scrolls of the book of Isaiah. So he's handed the book, and he reads the portion in, chapter, in, uh, in Isaiah. It's recorded for us in Luke chapter 4, and he reads these words. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. Anointed means he has wiped me, smeared me, put oil on me. That's an important word here, because it, without saying it, he's saying he is the Anointed one. What is the anointed one? In Armenian we say sirpavads. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed. One. In Arabic, we say mash. In Farsi, you probably say mash as well, or something similar to that. But what does that sound like to you? It's the word that we use. Sometimes we think of it as Jesus' last name. It's not. It's the same word, Christ. Messiah. Right? So he's saying that he is the Messiah without saying that he is the Messiah. Because that scripture, the prophet Isaiah wrote it about the one who was to come who would be the Mashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one. So the Spirit has affirmed this and he says... Why has the Lord anointed me? He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Are you poor? Because we are all poor. The problem is we are taught from the minute that we are born to do everything possible with our strength, with our energy with our ability, with our skill, with our education, to not be poor. We look at who has most money. We don't look at who's the poorest person. There is no Time Magazine cover issue that tells you these are the poorest people in the world. Never. They tell you who the billionaires are. They never look at that. So our system is already set up to recognize the opposite of what Jesus has come to give good news to. So when he's saying, I'm, I've come to give good news to the poor, if you are thinking inside that you are rich, you think, that's not for me. But if you're like the people who have said, I am, I am, we are all poor, if you're like that and you're thinking, you are exactly in the place that is ready to receive good news from Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner are you a prisoner? obviously the answers are obvious today right? somebody else is going to say we're all prisoners you're absolutely right totally I'm not joking this is the reality the problem is again we don't see ourselves as prisoners especially here in North America we are free in the States they sing it in their national anthem, the land of the free. So if you're not prisoners, there's no freedom for you. So the way we think limits us from receiving the goodness and the grace of God that is in the gospel, that the good news that Jesus came to proclaim. If we don't think of ourselves as prisoners, if we don't think of ourselves as poor, we're not ready to receive good news, we're not ready to receive freedom. And recovery of sight for the blind. Ready? Are you blind? Yes. Right? Our heads are beginning to to get familiar with this action. Yes, of course we're blind. I am physically blind. I can't tell if your eyes are open anymore or closed, I can't tell if you guys are sticking, I'm serious, I can't see if you're sticking out your tongues at me, or if you're just sitting there quiet, I can't tell if you're smiling or frowning, right, I just see shapes, legally, for driving purposes, I'm blind, right, I recognize that, but he's not talking about that kind of blindness only, even though he healed that kind of blindness, he took some sand from, or dirt from the ground, spat in it, put it on the person's eyes, and their eyes were open. They could see. Recovery, he says. Recovery means you were here healthy, you became sick, he's moving you back to healthy. Okay, that's an interesting concept. And set the oppressed free. The oppressed are those that are under a pressure. Somebody is pressurizing them. When we think of oppressed people in the world, who comes to mind right now? Iran. Iran. It's in the news, we hear about it, we see the, the news articles, we see the videos of people being persecuted and oppressed by a regime that is being unreasonable. From our perspective, our hearts break for them. From their perspective, their hearts breaking. Who else? North Korea. Korea. Amazing. Who else? China. Who else? Afghanistan. Afghanistan. What about Canada? Are we oppressed in Canada? No. To be honest we're not. At least we don't think we are. We have freedoms. We can decide what school to go to. We can decide if we're going to go to school. We're gonna, we can decide if we're going to work. If we choose not to work, but there are social programs that will help us. It's almost like life is good here. But he's talking here about an oppression that he intended for us to come to realize. So, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Hidden in this prophecy from Isaiah, is the reality that before we can receive anything, we need to become aware of our condition. I cannot bring you good news if you are not aware that you're in a bad situation and you need good news. Jesus didn't explain all that. He just said it, said it. And then in the end of this se- uh, passage here, in the next couple of verses I don't have them on the screen today he concludes his reading, rolls up the scroll, is giving it to the man who handles the scroll back and forth, from the back to the front, and he tells everybody, "In your hearing, today, this scripture has been fulfilled." Those are very bold words. You know what that means? He's telling them, I'm the Messiah. Not me, Him. He's the Messiah. He's telling them these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do this. These words are now reality. They're no longer a prophecy. They have become established in fact and in history. No longer do we need to look forward to this prophecy being fulfilled. It is now fulfilled. You have an appointment to go see the dentist to get a tooth filled. That appointment card that they give you at the front desk at the dentist's office is like a prophetic word. It says on such and such a date, at such and such a time, you're going to go see the dentist and he's going to fill your tooth. That's a prophecy. Sort of. The day comes and you actually go and they numb your gums and they put the drill in and they put the filling in and your head is feeling weird, and your mouth is oh, you can't talk anymore, and you feel like you're, you're drooling when you're talking. That happens. That now, that card, has been fulfilled. It's done. It's a done fact. You can now hold the card, look at the card, but you're not waiting for it to happen anymore. You can look at it as a point of fact and of history. On that date, I got my tooth filled. So this now has been fulfilled. It is fact. Later on in his ministry, Jesus actually spoke to the disciples and he asks them, who do people say the son of man is? They, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah and, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he said? You who have been with me for all these years, who have seen me Some of you were at the synagogue when I spoke these things. Some of you have seen me proclaim good news to the poor, set captives free, give freedom to the oppressed and and liberty to the oppressed. You have seen me give sight to the blind. Who do you say that I am? That's the question. Today, many people have different things to say about Jesus. A lot of people in the world look at Jesus as an amazing prophet. An amazing healer. You're sick? Pray to Jesus. You have problems in relationships? Let's look at what Jesus taught about relationships. Now he's asking the 12. What about you? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Most of us here in the room and online would probably be very quick to say, he is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Okay, but listen to what that really means. Practically. So Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Wow. So now we have the advantage of looking back that piece of paper that you got at the dentist's office that says on such and such a date you're going to get a filling, now you can look back at that and you can say, oh wow, my dentist didn't put a gold filling, he didn't put a silver filling, he put a white filling, so it looks like my teeth are healthy. Because you can look back. So it's easier for us now looking back to answer that question, but for Simon Peter to answer it that way, Look what Jesus said, because in the moment, you don't know. When you go to the dentist, he may have told you what he's going to do, but you really don't know. Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. His name was Simon. Jesus changed it to Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. I love that word in the Greek, my ekklesia, my called out ones, my assembly. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Wow, big words. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll come back to that. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is bound to in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven let's talk about these gates for a minute the gates of Hades what are gates for? when we finish the meeting here the last person is going to make sure that all the doors are locked why? so no one gets in is that what the gates of Hades is about? It's the opposite. The gates of Hades are not designed to keep people out. They're designed to keep people in. Who are the people that are in the gates of Hades? They're the ones that are poor. They're the ones that are blind. They're the ones that are oppressed. They're the ones that are prisoners. In other words, all of us are born inside the gates of Hades. What do you need to open a gate? When we come back in, we've locked the doors. Nobody can get in because the doors are locked, so we're protecting everything inside. What do we need to do to get into the building? Who can get in? Can the mailman or person? The mail person shows up here every day or two. They leave stuff outside. Sometimes they have packages. I've seen them. When I'm inside, I've seen them. They come and grab the door. When I'm here working alone in the weekdays, the doors are locked. Unless I have an appointment, I go open the door. But the doors are locked. So when they come in, they can't open the door. What do they need? Someone inside to open the door or a key. So Jesus says to Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Uh, Sorry, to the gates of hell. Yeah, to, to the kingdom. Those ki- kingdom keys are more powerful than anything else. Why? Because it's a kingdom of God. It's a kingdom of heaven. And the keys of that kingdom, whatever he opens with, will be opened. Whatever he shuts will be shut. So we have different keys for this building. When they put the building together, there is one master key that opens the front and back door. And that master key opens all the other rooms' doors that have locks on them inside the building. That door there for that room has a key. Downstairs, the electric room has a key. The storage room has a key. That master key opens all the doors, except for one, (laughs) the office. Because we have private, personal things in there that relate to the church and different members of the church and stuff like that, like baptism certificates, marriage uh, registries, and all of that. These are private things. So that's a separate, like a safe, as it were. But the keys that Peter got were master keys from kingdom of heaven for everything on earth. So Jesus has given him now the keys so that he can unlock. And whatever he unlocks, nobody can relock. And whatever he locks, nobody can unlock. What do you think he's going to unlock Jesus just told him, The gates of hell, or Hades, will not prevail. In other words, will not be able to stand. They will not be able to remain. Prevail means continue in strength, continue in position. They will crumble in front of you. So, the church that has been given, Peter, representing the church, who has been given the keys, we have keys in our hands to open wide the gates of Hades. And we have keys, just like for this church building, we have keys to lock the valuable things in. What are the valuable things? Not the piano or the projector or the guitars or the computers. Those are not the valuable things. That's what we log for the insurance purposes so that we don't have to go buy more pianos and keyboards and, and all that. But the valuable things are you and me. That's why when we come to Jesus and we are born again, what he's done, we just finish singing about it. Those are the valuable things to him. Those are the things that he has loved so much that the father sent his only son to die so that they would be saved and not perish. Those are the things that now come into and become part of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. So that's what the keys are supposed to do. But there's something else. Jesus taught the disciples to go and preach, baptize, make disciples of all nations. But he asked them to do something more. He asked them to teach them all that he had taught. Now, John, the disciple who wrote the Gospel of John, says to us, if everything that Jesus did and said was to be written, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to write them in. In three years. And he's right. So we don't have everything written. But we have enough in there to be able to identify some keys. What's interesting is that Saint John <coughs> records a conversation between Peter and Jesus around the Sea of Galilee. After his resurrection, the disciples had lost a lot of hope. My prayer is today, through this message, your hope would be restored if you've lost hope. My prayer as I was preparing this sermon is that if you have hope, your hope would rise even higher. If you have no hope, hope would be rebirthed in your heart. Because that's the whole message of everything that Jesus and God have done. Jesus is God, yes, we know. You know what I mean, the, the Father and the Son and what the Spirit is doing today. He has a conversation with Peter after the disciples had given up hope. And they have left what they were called to. You know what he called them to? Come, follow me, he said. He didn't mean just walk behind me. He meant live like me, be like me, imitate me, understand who I am and learn to live that way. That's the whole message of the gospel, looking at Jesus and following Jesus. Some churches don't call their members Christians, they call them followers of Christ. It's all the same thing. He has a conversation with Peter. Now Peter had just denied him three times the night that he was betrayed. Remember that? And he had told him about that. So now Peter feels kind of miserable inside that he did that. So Jesus comes to him and he's talking to him. He says, Peter, do you love me? If you had betrayed Jesus, forget Jesus. Dawson, if you had betrayed Ara, And Ara comes to you, and he says to you, Dawson, do you love me? You would be crushed. Not because he's asking, but because you betrayed him. So Peter answers, he says, yes, Lord, of course I love you. Jesus wasn't going to let it go. He's trying to dig at something, like the dentist is digging with his drill. He's trying to get to the root of the issue. So he says to him again, Dawson, do you love me? and now Dawson is dude, I just told you I love you a third time Dawson do you ever love me? and every time he says feed my sheep okay so Ara would tell Dawson uh, feed my family right? take care of my family I, I, I love you of course if, if anything you need do you love me? yeah feed my sheep you love me? Feed my sheep. And then it really hurt Peter. So, Peter, now Jesus is explaining it to him and telling him. And then he concludes with these words Very truly, Peter, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. You were young, you were full of energy. You had will. Not only will, but you had will power. You know that difference, right? Everybody has will. We all need resolutions January 30, or December 31st and January 1st. We made resolutions. How many of you are still sticking with them? I'm going to lose 30 pounds this year. You just put on five. <laughs> I'm going to read my Bible every day this year. Your Bible is getting dusty. Or your app hasn't even been turned on and it's not coming up as one of the popular apps that you use on your device. You used to put on your own belt. That recognizes ability, strength, power. I don't need anybody to dress me. I am strong. I am powerful. I am capable. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands. Help me get out of my chair. That's a brokenness. That's a humility. Is Jesus condemning him for that? Or trying to teach us something in his words? I told you I'm learning so much from dad. He has come to the place where he's comfortable and reaching out to my hand for me to help him get up sometimes. He does it on his own now. His strength is slowly coming back. But he's come to the place. And we each will come to a place But is that what Jesus is talking about, getting old? Getting weak? When you grow old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, that's ugly. It would have been nice if Jesus said someone will take you where you wish to go. I want to go to the movie today. All right, listen, my, my hips are really creaky. Will you please take me to the movies? I want to see that new movie that just came out. I can't drive. My leg is not pumping the gas properly. And Art picks me up and he takes me to the dentist. Dude, I don't want my teeth played with. I want to see the movie. (laughs) But this is what Jesus is talking about here. What is he saying? Peter started to understand that as he grew older. Peter was the one that yelled out, you are the Messiah. The first one to speak was always Peter. Peter was always that, mmm, I am Peter. I'm Simon. I'm ready for action. Put me in any, you know, any front. He's always ready. When they came to arrest Jesus, he grabbed the sword of one of the soldiers and cut off the ear. He's a man's man. He's the OG, right? The original gangster. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) you're getting the point. He's telling him, Peter, I love about you that you are who you are. But something is going to have to happen in you. He's not telling him this as a curse, he's not telling him this as a warning. He's telling him this as an encouragement because every word that comes out of God's mouth, out of Jesus' mouth, is creative and it's positive and it's good and there's no darkness at all in it. So when he's speaking these words to Peter, he's not telling him, Peter, you know, even when he told him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times tonight, he wasn't speaking a curse over Peter. He was simply telling Peter about how he's going to be going through the process and what the process is going to be doing in his life. I heard a sermon the other day of this guy preaching, Peter Furtick, and he was talking about ingredients as part of our journey. And he said that, you know, if I bring some baking soda, if I bring some salt, if I bring some olive, if I bring some flour and some eggs... And give to you each one on its own. It's or vanilla. Have you ever tasted vanilla liquid? Vanilla. It's it's bitter. But have you ever had nazuk? Have you ever had uh, gata cake? Is it bitter? Have you ad, ever been to? Uh, have you ever tried cinnamon? Cinnamon on its own without sugar is very, it will dry your mouth and it will burn your tongue. Have you ever been to Cinnabons? (laughs) On its own, the ingredient stinks. But when it's part of the finished product, you appreciate it. So in your life, that experience of being told where to go or taken where you don't want to go, on its own stinks. But as part of the total picture of what is happening in your life, it's one ingredient. And you may be going through an ingredient right now that is bitter, like the vanilla. You may be going through an experience right now where you're having a lot of sugar. It's amazing. It gives you a high, but it's rotting your teeth. And it's probably doing a number on your gut and the bacteria on your gut and all the other stuff. But it tastes so good. Addicting almost. I can never get that straight. Is it addicting or addictive? Anyway, you figure it out. But the ingredients of our life on their own, when we are in the moment, we have no idea what they mean. But let me tell you about ingredients. You know my favorite book? Genesis. What, Sarah? Revelation! Revelation. Yeah, that's my second new, uh, favorite book. In the book of Genesis, Chapter 1, we see how God bakes a cake. What? I didn't see any cakes in Genesis 1. Well, those are the ingredients. Day 1, or even before day 1, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he said, let there be light. That's one ingredient. That's day 1. And then he starts creating other things. But if you notice what he's doing, each ingredient, each day, He's moving from one thing to a bigger thing to a bigger thing to a more glorious thing to a, the most glorious thing that he creates on day six. What is creation what on day six? He creates some animals, mammals and other animals that walk on the earth. But also the last thing that he did before day seven was he created Adam and Eve and the details. Chapter 2, we hear the details. One day, Sunday school teacher is teaching about this. And Justin is sitting there watching, amazed at what she's talking about. The creation of Adam and Eve. And then they go home for lunch, and his mother sees him lying on the ground with a long face. She goes, Justin, what's wrong? He was really amazed by the story of how God created Eve, or made Eve out of Adam's rib so mom goes, goes to Justin, she goes Justin, what's wrong? he goes, I don't know, but I think God is going to give me a wife his rib was hurting <laughs> he didn't quite get the whole story the whole, I know, I know bad dad jokes let's stay on track, better stick to the, just the message, don't do comedy yeah, the scripture Don't quit your day job. I get it. You see what he's doing. The process in Genesis 1 tells us about the mind and the ways of God. Light, vegetation, stars in the heavens, all of that. And then he's focusing in on important things on the planet. The plants and the fruits and the animals and the the fish in the sea and the birds in the air. And finally, so in other words, if we are looking at the key ingredients in his creation, he's always building towards the most valuable, the most important, the most glorious container that he's working with. Same thing when you're cooking. You're preparing the eggs in a small little dish. You're beating the ba- the eggs. You have a little bowl that you put the flour in, the water, the salt. You have a bigger bowl that you put in to mix it all. And then you put it into the cake pan and you stick it in the oven and when it's finished, you bring it out, take it out of that tin or whatever metal tin, metal, aluminum or steel or whatever it is, the cake dish, the cake pan, and you put it on a glorious plate. You're always going from tiny to glorious. We do it without even thinking. So we need our thinking to be rekindled, reestablished, reignited, right? It's the same thing with the play on Christmas Day when we were here. The first time they practiced, they just had the papers. And they were looking, who's going to do what part? But by the time it all came together on that day, it was the most glorious presentation. We heard vocalists sing, we heard uh, angels tell stories, we heard, heard the skeptic and the narrator talk about it until finally they came to the end of it and it was beautiful. So when Jesus is saying to him here, when you were young, in our thinking, in our upside down backwards thinking, the same way we think we are rich but we are not, in the same way we think we see but we are blind, in the same way we think we are not prisoners but we are, we are not oppressed but we are, Our thinking here on earth is backwards. Everything we think is backwards. Inside. That's why Paul says in Romans, I urge you, offer in the view of God's mercy. The mercy of God. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, if you value anything that God says, if you love anything that God has done, if you think that you are praising God by saying what you have done and singing all the praise of Jesus and shouting hallelujahs, but you are not doing this, offering your body as a living sacrifice. In other words, preferring the opposite of what your body prefers. You with me? Do this how, he says. Don't conform to the patterns of this world that we are rich think I am poor. But actually, not just think I am poor. You know, there are some very rich people that live like paupers, like poor people. They have billions in the bank but they don't even buy anything that they need to be able to live properly. No kids. (laughs) There was a man by the name of Howard Hughes. Any of you remember him? was one of the richest men in the world at his, at his time. He lived like a beggar. He lived alone. He wasn't cutting his nails. He was living a miserable life. Because he didn't think he had enough money. But he had. He was wealthy, wealthy, wealthy rich. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so when Jesus is saying these words to Peter when you were young you put on your own belt you went where you wanted to go the renewed mind realizes that wasn't the strength that wasn't my strength my strength is going to come when somebody puts the belt on me and takes me to the places I don't want to go So in our life, we need to come to the place where our minds are renewed, where our thinking is transformed, where our perspective is restored, our vision is restored. What we think is valuable, isn't. I'm not against youth, trust me, I love being young. I'm younger than all of you. (laughs) Right? I'm younger than all of you. In my mind and in my spirit, I'm still young. I still feel like I'm the 18-year-old guy that was preparing to take the youth to gym night on Friday for basketball. Wow. Right? Okay. You're 24. You're a little older than me. I have to honor you. (laughs) But my body is telling me otherwise. And I'm beginning to realize that I need to grow up. Ah. It's about time somebody said, right? I'm beginning to realize that in my journey I need to let go. Remember this? Jesus gave Peter keys to the kingdom. These are four key characteristics of the kingdom. The kingdom proclaims healing, sight to the blind. The kingdom proclaims reconciliation, peace with God. The kingdom proclaims forgiveness, I have forgiven you of all your sin. The kingdom proclaims peace and peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers. That's what the kingdom is proclaiming. How it applies in our life is we suffer to get well. He got sick to get healed. We surrender to win. Peter has to let go and go wherever they take him to win. Die to live. My will is so strong, I am going to survive everything because I have the willpower. Well, good luck with that. Peacemaking, you have to give peace to to get it. You can't keep it by keeping it. You keep it and it will rot. You give it away and you have more of it. These are all sermons. Each one of these lines is a sermon series. What we do as children, when you were young, Peter, is we want to stay well we fight hard to stay well what's that new probiotic that I need to take yeah it's important you need to take care of your body I'm not denying that but what is that new fitness craze I want to lose 30 pounds by Easter surrender to win no we compete to win we're programmed for that the world teaches us that tells us that empowers us for that rewards us for that Die to live, live for number one. I don't know if you guys remember, but in the 70s and the 80s, everybody was walking around with a pin that says number one. Have you? Do anybody remember that number one? A lot of real estate agents had it. A lot of public speakers had it, and it would be basically look out for number one. That was the philosophy of the day. The teachers, the motivational speakers would tell you, you are important. That's true. You need to know that. You need to know that as a child when you were young. But you need to come to the place where, after you know that, you also realize that you just can't do it. As important and as valuable as you are, you were the climax of God's creation as a human being, you're more valuable to Him than all the other parts of creation. Because he made you to be the vessel of honor that he will reside in. The cake will go in that dish. You're that dish. You're the presentation dish. Not the other dishes. They were just the preparation dishes. They expressed part of the ingredients. Part of God's DNA. Nature declares his glory, the Bible says. But nature does not contain God. God doesn't exist in the nature in the way that he wants to exist in you. Peacemaking, you just want to gather more of it. I just want to have peace, man, in my life. Well, you want to have peace, give away peace. I'll be spending more time drilling down into each one of these areas over the next few weeks because I'm convinced that we need a reigniting of our minds with the realities of what the the kingdom of God are all about. Let me just uh, pray for us and join me in this prayer. Let's all stand. Jesus, there isn't enough words, enough time, enough breath to be able to express how good you are, how much you long for us to be like you, how you have called us to follow you how you have matured from being a young man to a very mature older man at 33 they put a belt around you they took you to the place you did not want to go but submitted to go you showed Peter and all of us what it means to surrender to die to live And just like in creation, you showed us that things go from good to better to best. We call it Good Friday, even though you died and suffered. But then Easter Sunday came and you were resurrected. And that was so much better. But then 50 days later, Pentecost came and you sent your spirit. And now we can be containers of that same life. So I ask for your spirit to fall upon us afresh. To fill us anew. To align us, as we prayed earlier, Lord, to align our thinking and our decision-making, our willingness, our wills to your will. Show us what it means to grow from being children to mature people. We say yes to you today. We give up our will to you. We don't want to resist. Not only with you, Lord, but in our relationships. We don't want to resist. We want to be open to one another. We want to be open to you in the midst of us. We want to die to ourselves that we may live for you. John the Baptist said, I decrease that he may increase. Make us instruments, Lord, of your peace, that we may give it away. And now may your peace remain with each one of us. As we end this service, Lord, we thank you for having spoken to us. I thank you for having spoken to me. And Lord, I ask that you establish your word in us, that it would be just as creative as when you first said, let there be light. That there would be light in our souls That our eyes would be opened. Our shackles would fall off. Our oppression would turn into freedom. This is the year of the Lord's favor. And you are the anointed one. We pray this in your name. Amen.